Every season is spooky season in our book. So settle in and prepare to be shook. You are listening to Shook, a comedic podcast about all things paranormal and unexplained. Hello, I'm Amanda. I'm Santa. <laughs> and fun fact, um, I don't drink coffee anymore because... Remember all the like chest problems that I was complaining of in previous oh, episodes and health gosh. ailments and shit. Well, <laughs> it finally like came to this like it came to a breaking point uh mm. last week and I thought I was going to have a heart attack and I went to the urgent care and had like mm. an EKG and all that and the doctor came in and he was like, "Don't kill me, but because I had previously said, like, that everyone yeah. keeps telling me it's anxiety. He was like, don't kill me, but I have to say it seems like it's anxiety. And I was like, oh, my God. Did I really just pay you $175 to tell me that I have anxiety? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And he goes, Damn. go home and drink some wine and take a bath. And I was like, that's what I do literally every night. Well, besides the wine. <laughs> And yeah, so Dang. I quit coffee and it has been a lot better ever since. Well, that's great. I'm glad you figured out what was wrong. Uh, did you have withdrawals <laughs> at all? I swiftly replaced the coffee with uh, mushroom coffee. Have Have mm-hmm. you heard of like mud water? But it's I've not heard of mud water. water. I'm not using mud water. It's this brand called Joey that I found on Amazon. Oh. It's like a cheaper one That's if cool. you ever want to try it. And it's kind of like liquid Adderall minus the like panic attacks, which is kind of a miracle. Well, that's good. But very yeah. good. That's my, f- I, th- I think that's like about my only fun fact because nobody gives a shit. That's your only fun fact. Okay. Well, I've got, I've got a couple. You actually probably want to do this too. Our friend Laura, Laura's beating art. <gasps> oh yeah! Each send us each a print, and I picked one that looks like Gary with my cat Fry. Oh and my I gosh! Yes, mine is in the living room, and I'm not gonna get up and go get it because it takes so long for me to get on top of this pile of pillows. <laughs> um, but we did share it. I shared it to my Instagram and. The Shook yeah. account shared it. I got the print of Gary standing with Ghostface, and it is absolutely iconic. And it will be going on this wall, so you'll see it soon. Honestly, it's legendary. Like, her artwork is so, so amazing. It's so fucking good. She's like the Bob Ross of ghosts. Uh, yeah. A modern day Bob Ross. So, yeah, we love our art from Laura as huge. Um, well, yeah. Would you care? I think you go first this week. Would you care to tell me what had you shook this week? Um, yes, I would. So, member on a previous episode, I think it might have been episode three, we talked about the Fox Sisters of Hydesville mm-hmm. who kickstarted the spiritual movement in America. So, you know the Fox sisters, but have you heard of the Davenport brothers? No. 
Well, do they have an HGTV show? That's what it sounds like. It should it's be giving that. <laughs> yeah, they are. They have a kind of similar origin story to the Fox sisters. So the Davenport brothers, Ira and William Davenport, they are from Buffalo, New York. And Ira was born in 1839. William was born in 1841. So basically their family history kind of is riddled with allegations of spiritual and paranormal activities, starting with their mother. So like, Way back in the day when their mother was a child, Mrs. Davenport, she heard a voice telling her to look at the time on the clock that was nearby, and then she went and looked at it, and then later found out that that was the exact time that her mother passed. So she had, like, that's her, that's her, like, little anecdote of her personal experience with the spiritual realm, and then Mr. Davenport reportedly also had some female relatives that claimed to be clairvoyant in certain ways. And so the first paranormal phenomenon experienced by the family that included Ira, William, and their sister Elizabeth was in 1846 when the family was awakened and disturbed by raps and thumps and loud noises, snaps and cracking noises in the dead of night, similar to the Fox sisters waking up in the night to random creeks and stuff like that. So this was a few years before the Fox sisters, actually, 1846. In 1850 is when the Fox sisters came out and claimed their uh, communication with the spiritual realm was a thing, with the rapping on the table and the (laughs) doing weird stuff with their feet, tapping on the floor. So because of the success um, and excitement surrounding the Fox sisters, the Davenport family was inspired to also sit around their family table and try to do a seance. (laughs) They attempted that. And the first instance that they attempted a seance, everyone, including their, their mom and dad reportedly felt movement in the table, even like swelling and bulging of the wood accompanied by cracking noises and rappings, of course. And they agreed to keep it a secret within the family, but Mr. Davenport told a close friend about it, and then it spread like wildfire. And just like the Fox (sighs) sisters, all the neighbors and townsfolk were showing up at the house, being like, I want to see. Basically, hundreds of people visited the house during their time at the house. And then Ira Davenport, who was around 15 at the time that this happened, began writing what seemed to be channeled messages as the messages contained language beyond his knowledge or education. Like the Fox sisters, they also used rapping on the table to communicate. They used certain rapping patterns to indicate letters of the alphabet in order to decipher the spirit messages. The Davenport children were even witnessed levitating by visitors to the house. Like, there are so many people who visited the house that, like, have given their testimonies of, like, I saw some shit. The visitors (laughs) to the house were saying they saw the kids levitating. They saw musical instruments levitating in the air. Basically, lots of claims of levitating items and people and claiming to see spirits swirling around the room. A lot. Very uplifting. (laughs) Very uplifting. So during these early days of discovery of their paranormal phenomena within their home, the family was having breakfast when suddenly the silverware and other dishes on the table animated themselves, 
levitating and shaking. In this instance, the table also moved. It tipped sideways and balanced on one leg and levitated completely from the floor. Whoa. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Somehow the dishes didn't fall to the floor and break. So during this incident, the brother William said he saw a stranger so tall that he can scarcely stand up in this room. William said the stranger spoke to him and said, he says he's not of this earth. His name is William E. Richards. Then a message written by a levitating pencil instructed the family to purchase a larger table to accommodate more guests to the seances. And I ain't big enough. (laughs) Yeah, Mrs. Davenport was like, honey, we have to get a bigger table because the the spirit said so. So, Well, better I'll be Ikea. That takes too long to put together. What he says goes. Go on. Go on and get it. Order it from the catalog. The Sears Roebuck catalog. I don't know that that was a thing back then, but (laughs) Amazon. Oh, my God. (laughs) Too silly. Too silly. I don't think that... People are going to like that. Anyways, so the family began holding seances regularly, and visitors describe hearing loud raps and seeing apparitions, random lights appearing, and musical instruments floating, as I mentioned earlier. During a private seance with a few of Mr. Davenport's close friends, the table spelled out a message with wrappings. The message was from someone named George Brown. He said he was a Canadian farmer who resided in Waterloo, where his family still lived. He was robbed and murdered by members of the Townsend gang. George Brown was killed and robbed of $52, which he was planning to use to buy oxen. That kind of reminds me of the Fox sisters, too, whenever they claimed, like, the amount of money that the guy was killed for, remember? It was, like, $500. It's It's ridiculous. Wow, copycats, what? (laughs) So these circumstances, though, about George Brown were confirmed to be accurate by the county sheriff. So, like, George Brown was real, and that's how he mm-hmm. he was robbed and killed of that amount of mm. money. Crazy. How would they know that? <laughs> you want to know how they would probably know that? Their dad definitely worked for the police department. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Try again, guys. During the communication, George Brown said that he would take Ira to the scene of the murder. A few nights later, while Ira was delivering the evening papers, Ira had a weird feeling, and then he lost consciousness. He found himself standing in the snow with no footprints around him to show how he had gotten there. Hmm. He was in a secluded place about a mile and a half from home on the right bank of the Niagara River. In their next seance, George Brown stated that he had carried Ira across the river and brought him back again as an experiment. The Davenports continued to grow a large public interest into their spiritual endeavors. However, some members of their community were not fans of their activities. The family began receiving threats, so the boys had to quit their paper route jobs. (sighs) Dang it, I hate when that happens. There's always somebody that has to ruin it for everybody. Always. So the seances that they were holding before that mainly contained a lot of rapping noises and hearing musical instruments and things like that in the dark, that evolved into now hearing voices from the spirit. 
mm. that they were communicating with, as well as seeing and feeling hands appearing in the air and then dissolving. So these hands would come and like maybe like run their hands through somebody's hair. But these seances were always held in like pitch black darkness. So you couldn't see if anyone was like running around doing shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd think with your five senses you could hear the footsteps yeah. of it all, but I don't know. They were making so much ruckus. There was so much ruckus that maybe you wouldn't pick up on the footsteps. <laughs> or maybe. Who knows? So in one of these instances where they were hearing the voice of a spirit, they asked the voice for a name, and the voice said that they could call it John King. John King told Mr. Davenport to take his sons away from Buffalo because it was dangerous and they were needed elsewhere. During the winter of 1853 to 1854, Ira, who was 14 at the time, and William, who was 12, were transported the way Ira was transported by George Brown to their grandfather's house in Mayville, 60 miles from Buffalo, allegedly. Mr. Davenport finally decided that enough was enough, so he took the show on the road and brought his son's talents to spectators in other surrounding towns up north. They started out their shows just mainly doing their seances like they did back at the house. And then they introduced what they became known for, which was their spirit cabinet. And the reason they introduced this element into their show was because I don't remember if it was uh, one of the many investigators that would test them or if it was an audience member that was like just a critic or something, but there was someone Mm -hmm. of note that suggested that they start doing their acts inside of a closet or like more confined space. That way the audience Mm -hmm. could be for sure that the brothers weren't like running around the space because with their seances, they were in fact running around the space, like doing shit, but it was in pitch black darkness. So people couldn't say for sure what was going on, but if they knew that they were confined in a box Mm -hmm. on a stage and they watched them get put into that box and tied into that box, then they knew they were in there and they weren't running around the Yeah, you can't. So, so then they started incorporating the spirit cabinet. And so basically the cabinet was designed to give the boys a space to be in total darkness away from watchful eyes after being busted during a seance in New York. They did get busted by a a police officer in New York, turned a lantern on or something and saw them running around. And he was like, charlatans. And they basically got ran out of New York. They couldn't really do shows in New York after that, for the most part. Oh, my God. So the size, the way the cabinet is, like, basically built, it was, like, six feet wide, six feet high, and two and a half feet deep. It was split into three sections with three doors, and then there were two benches for the boys to sit facing each other, and then... In the center, in the center compartment of the cabinet, there was like a window with a black curtain. Mm -hmm. And that black curtain is where mysterious hands would emerge during the show and just be like doing stuff. It would be like a gloved hand, so it would look 
Like Blue Man Group. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, a lot of times, a part of their shtick was to, like, throw an instrument out the window with the hand. Nice. But basically, what they would do before the shows is be tied up into the cabinet in front of the audience. So they would have somebody, they would usually pick audience members to tie them. Um, oh, no. And so they would they would get tied and they would get tied really tight too. And then they were seated facing each other in, in the box. Everyone could see that they were stuck. Mm-hmm. And then they would get locked in the box. And of course, sh- noises from the box would start happening. The hands would come out. Like somehow they got out of the ropes. And then yeah. they, part of the shtick was someone would come open the door to reveal that they were still just sitting there with their hands behind their backs tied. And then moments later, just like one minute or less later, they would open the door again and they would just be standing there with their hands up. So it was like this really like, it was like this three part, three part magic trick basically that they were really, really skilled at. So were the, the audience members that tied them so tight, were they producer plants or were they actual audience? Oh, sometimes they were plants. Like sometimes they were friends of theirs. They would plant their friends in the audience. Usually when they planted their friends in the audience, it was to protect themselves because they had a lot of haters and they caused Mm -hmm. a lot of riots, especially in America. Well, also in Europe. Um, But during their beginnings, they were already having riots uh, at their performances in America. And so they would have their friends sit in the front row to just like kind of be extra security Mm -hmm. in case somebody wanted to like rush the stage. But I'm sure their friends were also... (laughs) People yeah, tied their knots. And then also they kind of counted on the fact that most of the people that came to their shows were like rich people that probably didn't know anything about tying knots. So I'm seriously. rich, I don't need to learn. <laughs> yeah, what? that's what that's what Ira said. They relied on the probability that their audience members would not be rope tying geniuses or sailors <laughs> or something. <laughs> And nine times out of 10, that was the case. But when they went to do shows and particularly um, hostile cities, places where they were not well loved, they did have some people like tie the knots so tight that it hurt them. Okay. I don't understand. If you're a hater, if you don't like the show, why are you going to go? Right. Or they could like give constructive feedback because I feel like they did respond well to constructive feedback. Like when the people said to do the cabinet, they were like heard and they did it. Now that's what they're known for. Well, if they're more than being known for the cabinets, they're known for how fucking phenomenally they were able to maneuver their way in and out of being tied up. Right. They were very, very skilled. Oh, and also there's one thing you should also know about the cabinet. So they did have it lifted off of the floor with sawhorses too as an added like just thing for the audience of no, we're not going underneath the stage. Like right. we're in here. So yeah, the brothers, you know, despite all their haters, 
they were really successful. They did do like their tour day America as much as they could, but really like America, unfortunately for the most part was not like a super welcoming place for them. Mm. So they decided to do a 360 tour. Oh my God. Not this 360 tour callback. (laughs) One thing I'm going to do is do that as much as I can. Anytime it makes sense. Because episode one is my favorite. It is. I'm nostalgic for episode one. Those were the days. Those were the days when I prepared for episodes. And new year, new me. That's what we're doing now again. So they decided that America was canceled. Or really, they were canceled. (laughs) So they started a 360 tour. And they started in England, Mm -hmm. and they added this guy named William Fay to the shows and became a trio. And William Fay is an individual who was kind of known for levitation-type acts. So they did two tours through Europe from 1864 to 1877. Each tour took, like, three to four years to complete. And they also went down to Australia and stuff, too. Like, they toured... They toured a lot. It really was a 360 tour. And, well, way back when they were in America, before they came to Europe, um, there was this man named Mr. J.B. Ferguson, who was also known as Dr. Ferguson, also known as Reverend. He was a gentleman of education and position, formerly a clergyman of Nashville. He was basically the intellectual manager of the seances, Um, And by that, I mean, he was sort of like the MC in a way, in that he sort of would explain without explaining Mm -hmm. what was happening here. Like, this is what's happening here to the audiences. And he would make it seem like, I don't know, he would make it seem like it was totally real and possible to the Mm -hmm. audience and made people suspend their disbelief. And He, at first, was a skeptic, and he tested them. He was one of the people that tested them, and he believed. And he he believed with his whole heart that they were actually doing spiritual shit. Or that there was a spiritual element. Even though he knew some of, like, the the behind-the-scenes stuff, they did... He wasn't privy to all that they were doing. Mm. Like, he was kind of just, like, part of the show... But on, like, the surface, he didn't know, like, the Davenport tie, which is mm-hmm. what their rope trick really was known as, and all the layers <laughs> of that, and how many times it was wrapped around the feet, and all the... He didn't know the ins and outs of, like, really what they were doing to manipulate all of this. So when he would watch it happen night after night, he was like, wow, I love these guys. He got bamboozled. He got bamboozled and led astray a little bit, but yeah. Um, Ira Davenport, as an old man, said to Harry Houdini, <laughs> "Ah, yes, yes, yes. We love to see it. Yes." He said that he kind of just let Ferguson believe what he wanted to believe, and that was kind of his that was his philosophy on what they were doing, 
Um, mm-hmm. Ira Davenport said that he and his brother never claimed to be anything other than showmen putting on a show. They never mm-hmm. claimed themselves that they were a connection to the spirit realm, like in their marketing and everything. They always marketed mm-hmm. themselves as like entertainers, sideshow, not like we're mediums. Like, yeah. not like we are going to talk to your dead relatives. Like, <laughs> run and tell that. No, they they consider themselves to be like, you know, ma- magicians doing magic tricks. And they pretty much were. Like, because Houdini himself tried to replicate or tried to figure out what it was they were doing mm-hmm. with their with the rope trick. Like, he tried so hard on his own to replicate it based on what he thought they were doing and couldn't do it. But then when he met Ira Davenport in 1909, they became really good friends and Ira showed him how to do it. And then Mm. Houdini and he like with his blessing with Ira Davenport's blessing, Houdini made it part of his performances in the 1900s. So that was pretty cool. Oh, and also eventually on their 360 tour, England also grew tired of the Davenport brothers, much like America, particularly in Liverpool. Like they, it was not good. So there were riots and threats being made against them and even Mm. mean-spirited parody performances by actors Sir Henry Irving and Edward A. Southern. And in these parodies, the actors would imitate every bit of a Davenport Brothers show. And they even would do, like, the makeup to look just like the brothers. And they it would be, like, SNL. like. But, yeah, they were, like, <laughs> yeah. they were making fun of them in a way of, like, not taking them seriously and lacking respect for their craft. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the the relationship with Harry Houdini I thought was really cool. So I read about that in... This book that I've been wanting since the inception of this podcast called Magician Among the Spirits. Magician Among the Spirits, written by Harry Houdini himself. This is his memoir. It is very fucking cool. And it's annotated, so it has like a lot of extra tea. Yeah, like basically Ira, Ira's brother William died in 1877. And that was actually when they quit touring. Mm. Um which was probably good because people were starting to just hate them everywhere they went. But so I'm going to read a little passage, a passage from Houdini's book, Magician Among the Spirits of him explaining the Davenport tie and like how it was taught to him and, and a little about the spirit cabinet stuff too. Though many attempts were made to imitate it to the best of my knowledge and belief, no one, not even the magical fraternity was ever able to detect the method used in these famous rope tricks, the secret being guarded so carefully that Ira Davenport's children did not know it. I have tested it, and for uses such as they made of it, I consider it one of the best rope ties in existence today, and it is only because I want it on record when I eventually pass to the beyond that I am explaining to the public the modus operandi, which was as follows. Built into either side of the cabinet that was used by the Davenports was a bench through which two holes had been bored a little distance apart. The brothers seated themselves on these benches and opposite one another with their feet squarely on the floor in front of them. 
The end of a rope was passed around the legs of one of the brothers, close up by the knees, and tied. The rope was then wound around the legs several times, fastened at the ankles, and the remaining portion carried straight across the cabinet to the other brother's ankles, fastened, and then wound about his legs and tied at the knees. A shorter piece of rope was then tied to each of their wrists with the knots lying next to the pulse. These ropes were threaded through the holes and the wrists drawn down to the benches and the ends of the ropes were fastened to the ankles. It's like a lot of layers of rope. Yeah. So their method of releasing themselves was comparatively simple. While one extended his feet, the other drew his in, thus securing slack enough in the wrist ropes to permit working their hands out of the loops. The second brother was released by reversing the action. So they just had this like pulley kind of thing where like, it's really genius that they were able to Mm -hmm. figure out how to do that. After the demonstrations were completed, the brothers slipped their hands back into their loops from which they had drawn them, placed their feet in the original positions and were ready to be examined. When the cabinet was opened, the ropes appeared as taut as when they were put on by the committee. That's basically the breakdown that Ira Davenport gave to Houdini of how to do this rope trick. And then Houdini decided he would share with the class before he (laughs) passed on to the beyond. And I love that for us. I also have this really cute picture of Harry Houdini and Ira Davenport. Isn't it cute? Oh my God, besties for the resties. They really were. They were besties, end of life besties. Remember when the Fox sisters were getting dragged up and down the highway about being fakers, but Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and other prominent individuals were like ride or dies Mm. for them. Well, that was the same thing with the Davenport brothers. Like they were, they were like hated by people for so many reasons. And there were a lot of like prominent individuals that also believed in them and also said that they believed what they were doing was real and, Basically, the Davenport brothers were polarizing individuals, but no matter if you loved them, hated them, you can't deny that they were fucking geniuses. Because, I mean, you know, we think of Harry Houdini as like the leading escape artist, you know, in our time, but he couldn't even figure out what they were doing until it was shown to him. So it's like he learned, he got to learn something that he didn't know from Ira Davenport. And I love it. Two kings, two like rope it. kings. I'm just really happy that I was able to discover this story about the Davenport brothers and the connection to Harry Houdini. Cause it's been a while since we've talked about Harry Houdini. And I just want to say like new year, new Dini, new year, new Dini. <laughs> like, cause yes! when we started the podcast, I made this promise that I definitely didn't follow through on that I would mention Harry Houdini once per episode. I'm not going to promise that I'm going to mention Harry Houdini once per episode because he actually doesn't have to do with every single instance of ghosts and unexplained things. But back in his day, he did have something to do with every single one. He really did. He had his nose in everybody's business. And you know why he had his nose in everybody's business was because he was writing A Magician Among the Spirits. He spent a lot of time researching 
because this book was like something he was working on for a long time because he was really trying to find proof. Yeah. He was trying to find proof anywhere. And so he would go and research all of these different people that would pop up that seemed to be infallible and seemed to be irrefutable instances of phenomena. And then he would always be disappointed to find that they were not who they claimed to be. And Oh my gosh. And so he kind of became, he went from being like so intrigued and actually kind of believing in it when he first started his friendship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to just kind of being a little disillusioned about it, but also realistic uh, in his approach to it. But I love that about him. That's why we love Harry Houdini is he, he's a man about the facts, facts only. And we'll talk more about Harry Houdini in future episodes, because like I said, he had his nose in everybody's business. And there are a lot more, a lot more things that happened back in the late 1800s, early 1900s that I have yet to tap into. So stay tuned for more Houdini content. Yes. That was my story. Um, Yeah. Well, I love it. And speaking of facts, uh, there was some confusion. I think, was it the third episode, the Fox Sister episode? One of them where we were talking about Houdini's cause of death. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he died getting punched in the stomach. Well, guess what? I was right. Kind of. He did die by appendicitis, but he... or a ruptured, excuse me. He did die by getting a ruptured appendix, I believe. But it was because of the punch to the gut that he was not prepared for. He wasn't, like, flexed up or anything, so. He also had some kidney damage from the straitjacket trick. Ooh. I found that out today. <laughs> um, because I've got up. another Houdini book, which I'll talk about later on, too. It's called The Witch of Lime Street. It's got a lot to do with his friendship with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and other big players in Europe. And yeah, I've had that book for a while and I just like keep reading it little by little, but um, it has a lot of tea that you don't find other places. I dig um, it. Yeah. Anyways, what had you shook this week? Oh my God. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> All right, so that was great, by the way. And I have to compliment your outfit. It's very New Year's. I did not play that it's game. It's my New Year Nudini. It's a Nudini. But no, I did want to shout out. I said out. I was going to be bejeweled this you year are bejeweled. at some point because I'm always dressing very, like, uh, very much just like t shirt, um, very it's much t shirt, jeans, whatever. But I found this at Pay by the Pound. Pay, pay by the I think pound. I might have paid 50 cents for it. Yeah, that place is a winner. You got to take me there. Yes, um, come I'm on. Not, I'm not bejeweled, but I do want to shout out <clears throat> my shirt. It says spooky season. It has a little ghost. Yes. My every cousin Andy. It, every season. I know it's January, but I don't care. <laughs> so my cousin Andy gave this to me for Christmas. So thank you, Andy. I love it. He also gave Aww. me a really cute keychain that I don't have with me, but it's got a, a pumpkin and a ghost. It's really cute. So, I love yes. it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, 
But yeah, so the story that had me shook this week, or rather the overarching theme, is doppelgangers. Oh my god. I love it. literally is new me. New year new me, kind of. Like Vampire Diaries. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so for those unaware, doppelganger is a German word that translates to double walker and or double goer. A doppelganger is an identical, non-biological, duplicate apparition of its subject. The concept of the doppelganger has been around since ancient Egyptian times. However, the term doppelganger was not coined until 1796 by German author Jean-Paul in his novel called Sibenkis, I believe is what is how you pronounce it. Um, so the theme of doppelgangers and human duality is popular in literature as well, and our beloved Edgar Allan Poe wrote a short story about this concept in 1839 titled William Wilson, where the doppelganger of a boy shares the same appearance, name, and birthday as the protagonist and seems to have a goal in mind, and that's to ruin William's goals and ambitions. So that's just one of the many pieces of literature that references the topic of doppelgangers. And you know what they say, art imitates life. So there are various real-life reports of doppelgangers that have occurred over the course of centuries, and they encompass the common lore, suggesting that If you were to see your exact double, it's a harbinger of bad news, and sometimes it could indicate that there's a looming death, which is not fun. And, yeah, nobody likes that. And there's some pretty important people throughout history who have claimed to experience encountering their doppelganger. So here are a few cases of that. Uh, First off, Abraham Lincoln. A.K.A. Honest Abe. He was our 16th president of the United States of America, and on the evening of his first election, he was just chilling, relaxing, minding his business, sitting down, and he looked over at a nearby mirror when he noticed, to a shock, that his reflection had two faces. Not just one, but two. But the second one was kind of sullen, sunken, very ashen and ghostly, and when he stood up, the face disappeared. His wife freaked the fuck out. She was terrified, and she said that it must be a bad omen that he wouldn't survive his entire pregnancy. Um, <laughs> in fact, I wrote this in my notes on accident. He wouldn't survive his entire pregnancy. Okay. <laughs> a major typo. I went back, and I still got his typo. <laughs> okay. He would not survive his entire presidency. And we all know what happened to poor old... Uh, Abraham Lincoln, she was right. He did not survive. He was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. Okay, so he's not the only one. Another person who everybody will recognize the name of who saw their doppelganger, Catherine the Great. So Catherine the Great, the Russian empress who ruled from 1762 to 1796, also saw her double. Catherine's servants would approach her, perplexed that they had just seen, seen her, sitting down on her throne. And if you would think that if somebody told you that they just saw your double, potentially your evil twin, you'd freak out. Well, Catherine did not. She calmly investigated herself, and lo and behold, there on her throne was her doppelganger. 
I don't know if she was necessarily scared, but she was certainly uh, very angry. So she ordered her guards to shoot the imposter. There's an imposter among us. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) guess what? Here's the tea. Merely weeks later, after this crazy occurrence, Catherine passed away. Rip. Another occurrence of this is with Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Johann was a multi-talented German fella. He was a poet, a novelist, a playwright, a theater director, etc. Because he did a lot of things. And uh, he was born in 1749, died in 1832. He once had an experience while he was riding horseback where he saw with his mind's eye, so basically his imagination, a man who, as he approached, turned out to be his exact double, which soon disappeared before his eyes. And he thought it was strange, but he soon forgot about it. But then eight years later, guess what, Hunty? He was going down that same path, riding on his horse. And once again, he saw his doppelganger. This time, he saw it with his own physical eyes, not his imagination. And I just got to say, like, how crazy is it that he had a premonition about that, too? Like, that's not only doppelgangery. It's also, you know, precognition, which is super cool. Um, I do not know for certain if he had any sort of ill fate after this. I'm not sure exactly when this happened in relation to when he passed away. Um, Next up, she might be a little bit less known. You have to go digging for her. Her name is Emilie Saget. Born in France in 1813, Emily grew up to be a teacher holding, listen to this, hunty, She had 19 teaching jobs in just 16 years. The word on the street (laughs) is that she was hardworking and pleasant. Everybody loved her, but something, clearly something must have been going on for her to not be able to hold down a job for more than a limited, limited time only. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was her 19th role at the age of 32. She began to work at this boarding school and in her time teaching there, the students at this boarding school reported seeing her sitting right next to herself, seeing her helping fix a student's dress, etc. Interestingly though, whenever Emily's twin would appear, students and others would notice that the real Emily would seem very lethargic as if her life force was being drained by this wannabe Emily, right? But... The interesting thing on that is she never saw her own doppelganger. It was everyone else. Everybody else was the one that was like, hey, what is that? That's, I don't get it. And she didn't see it. So that's kind of weird. And I could not find a report on her time of death. So again, another kind of ambiguous one, but she's got one of the most reported incidents of seeing doppelganger activity. So there's that. And there's a couple others I won't go too far into, but um, poet John Donne, he saw his wife, and also Percy Shelley, who's the husband of Mary Shelley, he saw his double prior to his death in 1822. But guess what? We've got more stories. (laughs) Not from famous historical figures, but from random internet strangers. Yeah. My favorite. Alrighty, so I kind of tried to compile these to where it gets more unsettling as you go. You let me know. 
what you think. But here's the first story. I remember one time when I was talking to my dad in the hallway of my house. I don't really remember what it was about, but we both saw my mom clearly walk past us into her room, shutting the door. I walked back into the living room, and my mom was still on the couch, asleep. I looked back at my dad, and he looked at me. We were both terrified. We both crept over to their bedroom and looked at the closed door. Neither of us went inside. We were freaked. I'm pretty sure my dad slept on the floor that night. Next story. When I was about 16 or 17, I was really heavy into doing the Ouija board. Other yeah, stuff happened. Really heavy. <laughs> really <laughs> heavy into just, it. I'm, I'm, heavy. <laughs> I'm heavy into this Ouija board. <laughs> Die hard. <laughs> Other stuff happened, but the doppelgangers were definitely the worst. The first one was my mom. I heard her come in, and my best friend was with me. My friend and I walked down to greet her, and she looked like a younger version of my mom and was carrying groceries, so I tried calling out to her, but she didn't respond and walked into my brother's room. Then I got a sick feeling. I called out to her, but she didn't respond still. So I followed her up. She was not there. When I walked back down, my real mom had come in and didn't know what was going on. She was also wearing a different outfit. The next one was my brother. My mom was talking to him on the phone, and he said that he was on his way home. As soon as he hung up, my brother walked in the door. He talked to us for a little. Mom wanted him to take out the garbage or something. And then he walked into the bathroom. He had been in the bathroom for like 15 minutes, and then I got the sick feeling again. I asked if he had fallen in or something. Hey, you coming out? (laughs) Uh, Then my real brother walked in and was freaked out. My mom checked on him all night to make sure he was okay. Both times they had darker eyes, and it felt sort of like a dream. But I was definitely awake, and other people witnessed it. So you've got some corroborating evidence here. Other other folks saw it. You're not alone. What I find curious about this one is, do these doppelgangers just have to pop a fat deuce or something? They just, they go into the bathroom never to come out again. Like, maybe they did fall in. Who knows? I'm thinking, like, their their exit strategy is to go through the plumbing. Like through maybe through through the sewers, the shoe. There's a shoe. <laughs> a pseudonym in the sewers. I'm thinking there's sense. a pseudonym in the sewers. Seriously, <laughs> that's the doppelganger. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is hi. I'm Amanda, and this is my pseudonym, Mandy. Uh, <laughs> I think we cracked the case. Maybe it's the why I don't. Why I don't ever call me Mandy. Oh my god, I won't. I never would Don't. dream of it to begin with. <laughs> um, I can only imagine what you went through because you have a, a unique name as well. Well, I don't oh, want to yeah. say as well. Amanda's boring as fuck, but as well, <laughs> as well. Amanda's like so eighties. <laughs> You're right. I was made in the eighties, bitch. No, uh, middle school was a great time for me. Um, people would come up to me and they'd say, "Hey." You're a man. Oh, no. Duh. But for real, I hate Mandy. Anyways, so there's a third story. Another <laughs> internet stranger. 
I remember one Sunday morning, my brother and I were watching, this is, I do not know what this show is, Card Capture Sakura. Do you know what that is? I do. It's an anime. Okay. I had a feeling with a name like Sakura, Sakura, yeah. I was like, okay. We were watching Card Capture Sakura on TV and someone knocked on the door. We lived in an apartment that was empty. The owner hadn't rented the second floor. It was just a two-bedroom apartment with a kitchen and a bathroom by the door. A small apartment, but with a big window that faces out to the door. So when I heard someone knock, I checked the window and I saw my father. So I thought. I was going to the door to open it. When I was going to unlock the door, my mother pulls me away and screams at me not to open the door because I didn't know who it was. I told her I saw my dad. She freaked out going to the window. She freaked out going to the window and checking and then checking the people. She started to get terrified and she said to go to the farthest room in the apartment and to not come out. She went and woke up my dad. My dad got up angry and confused. We told him what we saw and the man was still knocking at the door. My dad screamed, who is it? No answer. He said he will call the cops, but no response. While my dad was busy screaming at him, we saw that he was just standing in front of the door. So my mom took us to the farthest room from the door while my dad got ready to open the door with a metal bat. Ooh. So once he did, the man was gone. Wow. My dad goes out looking everywhere around the apartment. The apartment door was a heavy metal door and always is heard when someone comes in and out, but we heard nothing. We heard nothing that morning and nothing when my dad opened the door. We heard no footsteps either, but my brother, my mother, and I saw that man that looked exactly like my father. So I guess, I don't know, they, they saint it, so how do you explain that? Yeah, it just seems like there's witnesses. There's paranormal witnesses. Yeah, that, uh, there's literally three people. I mean, I don't know. Okay, not much longer. I've got just a couple more. When I was nine, I stayed home sick. <coughs> I can't go out. I'm sick from school. I distinctly remember that I wasn't actually sick. Simply playing hooky to avoid bullying. I did that a lot around that age. Same. Uh, I woke from a nap, turned on the TV in our living room, and scrolled through some channels when my mother, quote-unquote, suddenly leaned over the bar and stared at me without saying anything. Like, can you imagine? You're just sitting there, and then in front of your... Oh, I don't like it. Okay. I would not enjoy that. No, I can't. For a number of um, reasons. I'd been awake for a few minutes at this point, so I can't rightly blame sleep paralysis for all of this. Now, whatever this thing was, it was entirely identical to my actual mother. It sounds weird to describe, but it's as if the only difference was that this thing, pretending to be my mom, had never felt a single emotion in its life. It was unsettling. I don't like that. Um, it beckoned me, and I attempted to talk to her as I would my mother. She kept beckoning, refused to answer, and that's when I sensed something horribly wrong. Naturally, I started screaming at this thing to answer me. It just kept beckoning. 
I bolted, running out of the room and into the yard, yelling for help. My mother, the real one, had been working in the yard and came rushing over. I told her what I had just seen, and she soothed me with an easy explanation that it must have been a fever dream, but thankfully stayed by my side the rest of the afternoon as I was a nervous wreck. I don't know what I would have done if I saw that. Like, we know my mom is an angel here on earth, but if she, she looked is. at me with dead-ass eyes, I'd be like, mm. Well, that would be scary because we know her to be very sweet and gentle and, like, a nurturing presence and a nurturing energy and, and like, a peaceful energy. So, like, if she had any kind of anything like that, it would be very jarring. It wouldn't be like, would. oh, oh, mom's back on her bullshit. <laughs> like, it would be like, that's not my mom. You're not her. You're canceled. Bring mommy back. Okay, last one. To me, this personally was the scariest one. This, the one before was pretty spooky to me, but this one. Oh, my God. All right, here we go. You be the judge. <laughs> I Late at night. <laughs> <laughs> judge, jury, and executioner. Judge Santa. Happy to do it. <laughs> All right. Late at night. <laughs> Late at night, I usually go to the bathroom multiple times, but for the past four days, every time I... <laughs> this is not a Pepto-Bismol commercial. Not the girls at the mall. I'm sorry. I keep laughing at stuff. Late at <laughs> night, I usually go to the bathroom multiple times, but for the past four days, every time I go to leave, I can see myself still standing in the mirror from the corner of my eye. It's like the other me is watching me leave the bathroom. It terrifies me to the point where I almost run out without looking directly at the mirror. I never told my husband about it because I didn't want to acknowledge it out loud. Earlier today, I took a nap in our bed while he sat in the chair next to it watching TV. When I woke up, he told me he told me that he had seen me sit up and crawl backwards to the edge of the bed and stand up in front of our bedroom door from the corner of his eye. He thought it was weird that I got up like that because I'm in the last month of my pregnancy or presidency <laughs> up to you. <laughs> I'm in the last month of my pregnancy and I can't really move so well without it hurting. So he tried talking to me. When I didn't answer, he looked at the door to find me not there and still sleeping in bed. I got really creeped out, and I finally told him about what I've been seeing in the bathroom. He thought it was creepy as well, but didn't want to talk about it anymore because he thinks it will give whatever it is power or energy. I have no idea what it wants or why we have both seen it. Not just, like, right on the heels of her about to get give birth. Seriously. Like, literally crab. Like, I, I envisioned this as her literally crab walking backwards like you do in grade school. Like you're possessed by a demon or something. Yeah. That's a visual. That is a visual for sure. I don't want it. She might be giving birth to something insidious. Definitely. Something sinister. It might just be <laughs> the most evil baby of all time. Um, yeah. So I have a few possible potential explanations for what I think 
a doppelganger might be, and you can tell me what you think. But first and foremost, for the cases where it's one person who saw it, either it be whether it be themselves or saw one other person, but there's no other witnesses, we have to first and foremost obviously eliminate psychedelic drug use or mental illness such as schizophrenia. That could definitely explain those where there's not multiple witnesses. Um, but what I really think it is, is one of these things. I think it could be some sort of glitch in the matrix, parallel universe, time collision, time warp thing where it's like future you meets past you or God. a different version of what you could have been. To me, that's Damn. freaking terrifying. <laughs> um, it uh, could also yeah. be astral projection. Right. Like an astral projection, maybe like when you're. Like, for me, for example, when I have sleep paralysis, I can see myself. So that would be kind of like a projection. Or, I can't decide if this is scarier than the glitch in the Matrix or not, but it could be maybe demonic. Maybe. It could I don't know. be. What do you think? Um, well, I think as far as, like, reasonable explanations go for, like, some of these, like, particularly that, that one where the girl said she was leaving the bathroom and saw, like, a glimpse of herself in the corner, still in the mirror, that could really be, like, any number of optical-related things, like, floaters and things like that, because I, I do be having those, I, I do be having some weird seeing all types of different like things out of the corner of my eye but I know that that's common <laughs> like common eye things for the most yeah. part and unless it could be something else that we have just been explaining away with optometry no to be fair they both did say that they saw what they saw through the corner of their eye and their peripheral vision yeah. so the peripheral well yeah could be it peripheral sights are very difficult to like just be like yeah I believe that that is what that is because I have a lot of peripheral sites yeah uh, but not just dead ass right in front of my face sites you know and I refuse to believe that the peripheral stuff is anything because I will get scared but like as far as if you just like flat out saw a doppelganger of yourself I have only had that happen to me one time because I've never seen anyone in life that looks like me enough mm -hmm. you know to where I was like oh that looks like me like mm -hmm. I just have never encountered anyone but I see it all the time with other people I see people that look just alike all the time and I'm like how do the same features replicate like that it's yeah. really interesting it's like like mm -hmm. how you look like Elizabeth Taylor and Vivian Lee like you you legit are like copy and paste like you're sweet my grandmother she really did <sighs> Yeah, copy and paste. Um, and I just am like, who do I look like? But one time when I was back in high school when I worked at Sonic as a car hop, I know nobody gives a shit, but I'm telling this anyways. Um, I had worked there for quite a while. It was like my senior year of high school. And this girl randomly started working there after I had been there for like almost a year, I think. And her name was Shauna or it was either Shauna or Shanna. And it was like oh S H A N N A. Yeah. 
and she looked like me actually, but she looked like, uh, she looked different. Like you could spot the differences, but she was the closest person I've ever encountered to being like, Oh, we look alike. Like same color hair, big eyes, like similar face shape and skin texture. And what like are the odds? we wore our hair the same and people kept like mixing us up. One day I took her home from work cause she needed a ride. And when I took her home, it was in this like really, really like, it was like the slums. It, it was mm. like a place that I didn't even know existed. And, and I was like, you, I didn't ask her this, but I was like, you live here. Like, and I felt, I felt really bad that she lived there. It looked like a junkyard, Mm. but also had like homes in it. It just didn't look chill. Yeah, that's scary. And there was just like a lot of like, uh, I don't know. It was bad vibes up in there. And I never saw her after that. Like, after I took her home. What the fuck? They just said, like, she stopped coming to work. And we didn't go to school together. Did you ever try stalking her on socials? See if you could find her? No, because I don't even remember what her last name was. Dang it. Well, her name's pretty uh, unusual, like yours. like Kind of, but Shanna, I've seen that. I've seen Shanna, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I've seen it plenty, and people call me that by accident anyway all the time. But I don't know if that was anything more than just, like, that's strange. I don't know. But we looked, like, our smile was similar. It was crazy, bro. What? I was cuter, that's though. so cool. Sorry. Duh. <laughs> no, OG. she was real cute. I just, I don't know. That was a weird thing that I, like, never quite, like, reckoned with as far as like what happened to her but I'm sure she was fine I'm I'm sure she just like literally just no call no showed like and said no no thank you not everybody can handle being a sonic car hop you know plus she had to to be did you have to rollerblade no oh man I would have loved that shit she had to be like picked up and taken to work so that was probably the thing is like she just couldn't have transportation I get that. But I hope she's okay now. I really do. Shanna, my doppelganger, like, you're probably for sure not listening to this, but if you are, Shook Negativity Podcast, if you are, <laughs> um, get at me in the DMs, please, because I want to know that you are thriving, which I believe that you are. Yes. Because you're my doppelganger. <laughs> <laughs> and I said so. wait can we read those before we go um can we please just like read a couple of funny reviews that we received lately we don't have to include it unless it like ends up being cool if it's like cringe then I won't let it stay in watch me open it and there be something I don't want to see oh no more bad reviews like another one it was bound to happen so we finally, uh, Shook Podcast finally have started to get some bad reviews, which of course everyone has to 
experience at some point. You can't just get five-star reviews. You get a five-star, and you get a five-star. Yeah, it's realistic. I get it. I mean, we're not – yeah, we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but nobody is anybody's – nobody is everybody's cup of tea. The fact of life is that not everybody's going to like you, and at the end of the day, you just got to find your people, find your community, and what have you. Um, I'll read one that was bad from December 3rd. This one says, too much cackling. One thing about me, I'm going to laugh. Um, <laughs> I need to do better about editing that out, though. Like, when we laugh too much. I need. Um, it says, uh, I usually like some of the fun banter before getting into the story in a podcast and the whole best friends vibe that a lot of podcasts have. But these two are annoying. Lots of giggling and cackling. It's like sitting next to two 14-year-olds in the mall food court. <laughs> eye roll emoji. <laughs> Thank it's you, Kate. It's the eye roll emoji. Thank you. It was the eye roll emoji for me. Yeah. It's okay. No hate. All love here. And then there was another one that said snooze fest. Read it. Oh, let me pull do, it up. Or do you want me to read it? I'll read it, because actually this one is a dig at me, so specifically. <laughs> this, thank you for not calling me out, but you basically did. <laughs> By mentioning cross-stitching. It's like, well, who else could that be about? The person that can't stop talking about cross-stitching. Okay, so this one says, Snooze Fest, two stars from Shani. W81. Two Girls, One Ghost recommended this podcast, but honestly, I didn't know if you were going to stop talking about cross-stitching. You ladies seem really nice. I honestly gave it a good 40 minutes, then tried another episode, and again, wasn't interesting. But everyone likes different things, and you ladies seem to have fun doing it. I like this one better because at least they're like, they really gave it a chance. They really tried. And they were at least they like, got one thing right. It's not working. At least we got but, they got one thing right. Yeah, um, we are really nice. Yeah, we are really when nice. We want to be. I'm just kidding. We yeah. try. I try to treat yeah. others as I'd like to be treated, and I have not left a mean review on a podcast before. Because what's the point? Like, unless I mean, yeah. For me, it's, it's like. Fine. I only review stuff like that if it's a positive review. And if it's a bad review, I usually just, like, keep it to myself. Or, like, this – I'm not going to read this whole review, but there was a really kind review uh, that also provided constructive feedback uh, from someone else who found us by listening to Two Girls, One Ghost. And and she said – she just, like, let us know, like, that – the audio was a little low on the last episode, which actually that's true because I half-assed the audio mix on that one. Of course, the one time I half-assed the mix, we get a review. Uh, but it's fine. Um, I won't be doing that again. <laughs> so thank you, sad little puppy, yeah, uh, for that constructive feedback in an otherwise great review because they still gave us five stars. Yeah, definitely. And a palate cleanser here. Here's one. Y'all are twisted. Five stars. Oh, I think that's Mothboy Matt. Hey, Matt. Yeah, it is. 
Love the podcast. The subjects you cover are amazing. My toxic trait <laughs> My toxic trait is loving Shook too much. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what comes next. Um, yeah, I mean, we out here. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I do want to say thank you to Two Girls, One Ghost for doing that lovely promo with us, promo swap. And we did get a lot of traffic from that. And I yeah. know we're way smaller than y'all. So honestly, that was way too kind. And we love you guys. And honestly, yeah, I mean, back to what I said earlier, we're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. One thing about me though, is I'm not going to suddenly just be inauthentic going against who I am naturally and become this stiff version of myself that I'm not. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm right. I just just, like genuinely am a stiff person. But you're not. You're not. You're not stiff. What are you I, talking about? I am by like Nar. nature. Nar. Yeah, it's it's kind of like an instinctual. I don't know. It's weird, but I I am like by default very stiff, and then I can loosen up. Like you know what I mean? When we sit down and do these episodes, usually I start a lot more stiff, and then I get more. But that's because I have anxiety <laughs> really bad, that's, according to no, the doctors. You're great. Yeah, and I'm glad your heart's better, by the way. Whoa. But yeah, yeah, I don't think you're stiff. I think you're the perfect amount of loosey-goosey. I feel, I I mean, maybe I don't show it. I try not to, but I feel kind of stiff at first, too. I'm like, uh, how are we going to open yeah. this one? Yeah, it's like, because like, we don't uh, talk, we don't like physically talk in between episodes. Like we text, but we don't like talk, talk. Really. Yeah. Because we want to, like, have new stuff to say. <laughs> Amanda, you already told banter. me this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. We can genuinely react to, like, news. <laughs> and that's for those who care about our new things that we want to tell each other. Yes. Um, but, but thank also, you to everybody who actually likes us. <laughs> yes. Thank you for everyone who is sticking with us as we evolve and improve. We are still really, really new. And the fact yeah. that Two Girls, One Ghost, as well as Moth Boys, have, like, promoted us a lot and taken us under their wings in ways, especially Moth Boys. Oh, my God. Uh, Love that. Wings. We're very lucky to have made friends so fast because we're so mm-hmm. new. And, of course, the the only downside of that is that maybe, like, people are discovering us before we have, like, ironed out some of our new girl kinks. And that's fine. Yeah, it's we're, fine. we're getting it together and it's New Year, New Dini, like we said, and we're going to be bringing more content than ever before this year. Yeah. And I've been working on the Patreon behind the scenes stuff. So we'll have finally this behind the scenes Patreon content that we've been talking about. We will have that very soon. Anyway, y'all. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks for being a friend. And uh, we'll see you next time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I hope everyone is taking great care of themselves and taking inspired action to uh, manifesting the things that you want for yourself. Mm -hmm. And also, if you would like to head over to our YouTube and like and subscribe to that, our YouTube channel. Yes. And if you love the show, please leave us a five-star review and some kind words. Yeah, and if you it have literally constructive make my day. feedback, 
leave that too. I don't care. Come on. Constructive feedback in a kind way goes a long way for me. It does. And I appreciate it and I, I'm not mad at it. So come right. on. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah. we love you guys. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> Stay shook. Thank you so much for tuning into Shook. New episodes of Shook drop every other Wednesday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, soon to be wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our show notes for more information on this week's episode, our social links, and more. Until next time, stay shook. Hey, do you have a personal paranormal encounter that you'd like to share with us? Visit our website, shookpodcast.com, to fill out our contact form. Or you can send us an email at shookparanormalpod at gmail.com.